0: I think that our task in the 21st century is to reclaim all of our multiple selves and integrate them into a whole where well, we're no longer strangers to ourselves. But we all, as Sweet Honey in the Rock says, all of us must come home again. We must be whole. Citizen Podcast. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Citizen Podcast. This is Carrie Kelly. This podcast was part of our 2020 Citizen Summit about how to meet this moment with love and justice and build a politics of care that doesn't leave anyone behind. And this conversation is really special. It features Ruby Sales, a deeply committed grassroots activist, eloquent theologian, and veteran of the Southern Freedom Movement. Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, who is a nationally sought after preacher, activist, and author, and Mickey Scape Jones, also known as the Justice Doula and creator of Brave Space. This conversation explores what it is to hope in these times, how to reclaim ourselves beyond white supremacy, and why we need a movement of intimacy and accountability. All of it points us towards healing our way back to wholeness individually and collectively, and it is the work of this moment. Check it out.
2: I wanted to start or we wanted to start by asking um, you, Jackie, who you are also my pastor. Um, And, um, you know, I always say pastor, sister, uh, mentor, mm-hmm. friend, yeah, right. um, and yeah. I. The reason I want that that we thought about you bringing us into this space with prayer is, you know, you know, we're at a time where um, our understandings and our connection to religion and to this idea of God or spirit or divine has shifted for a lot of people. Right. People are trying to find where they belong. Yeah. Um, and, and have some sort of depth of, of belief, something to understand and cling to, particularly in this time that can feel apocalyptic, that can feel end of the world-ish. Yeah. And um, uh, I was sitting here thinking, as Carrie was talking about um, middle and it being her home church as well, and Mama Ruby, you raised your hand as well. Um, and I was just thinking about the times when I am not sure If I, today is today a day where I can call myself a Christian, where I want to be a Christian. And, you know, I thought, well, you know, even if I change to some other religion, because I feel like I'm, I'm kind of, you know, people will say I'm spiritual, but not religious. I'm kind of religious and spiritual. I like having a faith. And I know even if tomorrow I said, "Ah, I think I would like to convert to Islam. You would be like, okay, great. (laughs) And hope to still see a church on Sunday. Like I could go, to middle um, as a Muslim. In fact, we have Muslim friends who join us at middle. Um, and, and every religion and everyone is truly welcome and to find spiritual practices and places of that practice where people, um, where all people are welcome and there's no litmus test of belief, um, but there is an invitation to shared action. Those spaces are so rare. Um, and so, I just thought it would be a blessing to to be led in prayer by someone who has cultivated that kind of community um, so that it just you know gives us a little taste uh, so that we continue looking if that 's not where we're where we are or if that's something we're starting to cultivate that it would just give us another little taste of that so would you lead us in some prayer to start off this evening
3: i will I will Mickey, but first, I just want to say uh, to everybody we're so glad you're here. Um, But I'm also really glad to be in this just trio of love warrior women who we all share that spiritual community, but we also share the spiritual community that is the globe right we are all um, as our mama is burning up in California. um, All we all come from the same womb from the same mercy seat, if you will. Um, So. I think I'd like to invite you all, if you feel comfortable, we all come from different traditions, but I'd love for you to keep your eyes open and picture just the first person that comes to mind that you love, just pick the first one that comes and put, and put their face in your, in your consciousness. And I wanna say, as we pray, that person is a sumsa of the holy. Like that person's face, body shape, uh, coloring, hair texture—they are something of what the universe is. That is <laughs> holy. So, with that picture in your mind,
0: um, if it's, it's easier, Cheryl. For-
3: Cheryl, all right, Ruby. That's what good. I'm thinking about John. So everybody, pick, pick a person in your mind that you see them and you think, yep, that's what love looks like. And then, and then let us pray together. Love that takes on flesh and blood. Love that walks amongst us as itty-bitty baby flesh, as older, crinkly, wise flesh. Love that moves among us as wisdom, as hope. We're so thankful that we can touch you sometimes, that we can hug love, that we can be moved by love, that we can hear love sing, watch love dance, eat sweet potato pie baked by love rock beloved asleep, you, God, you have taught us that love can be embodied in a human form. And we see evidence of it, even in the midst of all the other things that we can see, terror and pain and heartache and lies. We see also kindness, resilience and love, Badass love, God, and we thank you. Help us to lean into what love feels like and tastes like and smells like. The demands of love, the rigor of love, that the, the healing presence of love, that we can be it for each other. And also when we see it, we can amplify it and we can give testimony to it. And as we talk tonight about healing and, and love in this space, make us instruments of your peace. Amen.
2: Amen. 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 (laughs) Thank you so much, Jackie. Thank you, sweetie. Um, So, um, uh, Mama Ruby and I have been in conversation with other groups lately, and I've witnessed so many conversations by the two of them. Um, And it's always a dynamic conversation, um, and um, I and also, I mean, we've had many personal conversations over the years, and um, and and if you know Mama Ruby's Facebook page, you know that um, she gathers people on her front porch. Um, nearly every evening and sometimes a few times a day, especially if we need to be snatched up a little extra um, on the the front porch and sits us down and and gives us some medicine. Um, Depending on what we need, sometimes it's a gentle um, caress of soothing words. Um, Sometimes it's a uh, reprimand and... um, clear focus on where we need to be thinking and going. And sometimes it's questions for us um, about what we're seeing and hearing and feeling, what the moment is asking us to do and to become, um, to allow the conversation to actually go forward, um, to keep hope in our spirits and to keep us clear-eyed and understanding what we're dealing with in this age and in this hour. Um, and so we're hoping for a little bit of that tonight. Um, we are going to let the spirit lead and twist and turn and who knows where we'll end up. And if any of the questions we've developed will be asked, um, we're not, we don't really care about that. What we care about is having the conversation that needs to be had in this space. Um, and so we thought we would start with, um, a few folks from, that are representative kind of of this Citizen Well community um, that have been around for a while, um, and know um, a lot of you that have been around for a while. So we're gonna be bringing them on. um, And because uh, I know that you like to have a pulse on what the group is thinking about. Um, So I thought it would be helpful to to start there. Now, um, as we kind of wait for them to come on, is there anything though uh, in particular that's on your mind tonight? Is there, are there things that you have been thinking about wrestling with um, or just are top of mind as most important right now that we'd be thinking about?
0: Well, the first thing I'd like to do is just thank you and Carrie very much for imagining and bringing into being this conversation. In such a season of disposability and irrelevancy. And it is in community, I think, that we begin to find ourselves. So thank you very much for gathering us in this congregation. And it's always a pleasure to be here with my beloved Pastor Jackie Lewis. So I'm happy to be here. Love you. And for all of you who who have, taken out of taking the time out of your very busy day. Thank you so much for gathering and to be a part of this conversation. We're so grateful that you you chose to come to be with us tonight. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Jackie, any thoughts from you as we
0: Oh uh,
3: well, you know, just kind of teary to be in a space of love like this with some women I love so much and Right right before I, uh, right, right before I um, my blood sugar was dropping, so I tried to eat a little bit, and I made the lovely decision to turn on CNN while I was eating, and there was the, once again, the, the story of Trump not telling the truth about what he knew about COVID, and just like, I just, I was like, oh, wow. Um, and I thought, I thought it was an interesting data point about how many lives we've lost to COVID, um, how many infections we've had to COVID, and the idea that it's this virus that we are all you know trying to address by you know putting our masks on, washing our hands, and socially distancing, and it made me think about the other viruses that are at work in our nation and how are we going to address them together as a community. Um, you know, when Ruby asks, "Where does it hurt?" and you think, you know, it hurts in the belly where racism. Lives It hurts where sexism breaks our heart. It hurts where Black trans women are being killed, you know, just for being themselves. It hurts in lots of places. And I I really do think that we can reduce the casualties, you know, to these viruses as well, like taking care of each other. So I'm looking forward to talking about it.
2: Okay, so let's get started with some of y'all um, who have joined us here. Um, I was thinking about starting with you, Kane, because you look like you're on the go, so. Um, thank you so much. Um, I'm definitely honored to just be present with you all and the wisdom that you each embody. Um, so I don't take that lightly, I'm very grateful. I guess I would lead with the question of, um, is it
0: naive to still believe that there is hope for our world to change and that we are a part of that change? Yeah. Well, the first thing that I would say is that we are the world and the world is who we are. And so changing the world means changing ourselves as well as changing those things that are outside of who we are. And I think where we find hope is we find hope in history. There there is a historical record throughout the ages that show that people united have defeated oppressive empires. History also teaches us that no empire has lived forever. That people have always brought down, whether it was the Roman Empire, whether it was the British Empire, well, it is the American empire. Empires are always subject to be defeated by the people. The question is not if, if it's foolish to hope. The question is what, is, what is it that we hope for when we hope? Are we hoping to be a part of the system? Hmm. Are we hoping for material goods? Are we hoping to become more fully human? What and so the nature of our hopes determine the outcomes of our hopes. And if we have hopes that are rooted in over and against structures, we will perpetuate the same structures. So really we have to ask ourselves the fundamental question in the beginning, what is the source and meaning of our hopes? I I love that. I think it's hard to continue hope. I think hope is also connected to generational continuity. When when the generations have been fragmented from each other, it is very hard for subsequent generations to maintain hope. It is hard for the older generation to have hope as much as it is hard for the younger generation to have hope. Hope is perpetuated on the the knowledge of our stories and on our intimacy with each other. And part of what empires do is to separate generations, therefore creating cultural genocide and decimating hope and creating nihilism and pessimism. So our job, so you cannot have hope
2: without intergenerational connections. That's why being in community that is, that is intergenerational, where we can be with our elders, um, where we can be with multiple generations at one time um, is so important. And that's something that you've lived into, that you live into, Mama Ruby, is that you mentor um, and spend time with. You, you don't even see it as a one-way street. You spend time with people of different ages. Um, always that flow, that exchange, um, so that when when the hope has is is lower for for one the hope is you know that it rises with the hope of another i've seen that you that's happened with the two of us where my um i've been at a time of very little hope maybe that tiny little mustard seed and even that feels like it's slipping away and you are able to kind of help me readjust that attitude a little bit um, you know and then you know there have been times i feel like i've been able to remind you of a little little morsel of hope. And, you know, it's one, we make it one more day at a time.
3: One day more, <laughs> another day, another destiny. Sorry, little <laughs> popping out. I mean, I think we're talking about the power of our stories. You know, we, the reason we need connection with each other is so that we keep, you know, you Jesse Jackson would say, keep hope alive, keep stories alive. You keep uh, you keep the stories alive, and you remember we've come over a way that, with tears, has been watered. You know, we 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 are we are in a trajectory of love warriors who made a way out of no way, who you know saved each other from the lash and fed each other's kids and learned you know made women's suffrage a reality and you know stood up uh, against the historic wrongs of this nation who registered each other to vote. I remember when, on the day that John Lewis and C.T. Vivian both died, I mean, I had spent some time a couple of years before with Ruby and C.T. at the opening of the Civil Rights Museum down in Alabama, to watch these two old friends like who used to sit across the street from each other, lived across the street from each other, sit around the porch, you know, telling stories, uh, th- yes, the biblical stories, but also my mama said stories and my grandfather reminded me stories that, that, that place us in an arc of history that, that actually does bend toward justice. But it doesn't bend because it bends, it bends because good people of moral courage and, and great will go do the thing and remind each other that we know how to do the thing. Um, I was pretty down the other day around the, the kind of news. And I don't do down that often. So when I do down, I get, I freak out. I freak myself out. Like, like, what's going on? I'm having a bad day. Cause it's not, I'm not really wired for down, but I just was like, what the F man, what is going on right now? At every turn, there was some bad news. And I think, well, I frankly think, well, Ruby, I go, well, Ruby survived the bad news. You know, um, Ruby and them survived the bad news. John survived the bad news. Jonathan put his life on the line so Ruby could survive the bad news. There's always someone loving us through the bad news. There's always tomorrow because love is stronger than hate. And because we, we are stronger than empire. Individual hope, individual courage, individual acts of kindness, groups of people gathering together to organize, kick empire in the behind. That's why we're here. So when I feel cranky and shitty, I I look at some stories, I remind myself, I pick up John Lewis's biography, right? Look at some emails from, from Ruby's front porch. I remind myself that resilience is a character trait of humankind. Yeah. And, we, and the people united will not be defeated. Emily Jennings, do I know you? Are you Emily that I know <laughs> yet? The yes. out of here. Ah! I, have I have to say
2: a bad word on that. What? Hi, baby. <laughs> Hi, time. Okay, we'll talk some more. Oh my- well, you know what? This is a great segue. Emily, you That's go next. Me. You got a question, girl. So just say your question. Oh, my gosh. Um- Emily.
3: Hi.
4: <laughs> Hi. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, my gosh. So much. Thank you resilience. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um... So my question ties to Canes in terms of of holding on to hope, mm-hmm. specifically for our healthcare workers who are in the wake of so much trauma, yeah. and everyone being isolated, yeah. and um, it's a lot, you know, and how how and then also being forced to interact with people who refuse to um, not wake up, who refuse to intentionally choose ignorance that causes so much harm again and again and again. So what you referenced about remembering people who are who are resilient and who have carried each other through that. Do you have other spiritual practices or rituals that help us get through the extra, super crazy, hard, tough times right now?
0: I don't think that we should look at rituals as universal ones. Mm -hmm. Each ethnic group, each folk culture, has developed rituals, modalities, that have allowed them to navigate the turbulent waters of oppression, despair, and desolation without becoming broken-winged birds. And so Mm -hmm. because we live in a society that reduces our identities to our skin rather than our ethnicities, we are dismembered from those folk rituals and modalities that existed. And and I think it becomes very dangerous because without those modalities, you believe that you're empty, that you're an empty vessel. And you search and search for things to fill you up that already exist, And the problem with allowing that to happen to be dismembered is that instead of the folk telling you who you are, members of the empire come, come along and tell you who you are and you believe them. And they not only tell you who you are, but they tell you who you are in relationship to others. So I think that it's really important. One of the things that I'm deeply, deeply concerned about is this whole overemphasis on trauma without simultaneously talking about ways in which people overcame trauma. Black people were geniuses at creating modalities during enslavement. On those slave ships where we moved away from tribalism and united ourselves and the people based on our common experience. In those sites of terror called plantations, Black people developed spirituals, the prayers, the shouts, the collective witnessing of what it meant to be enslaved. And so they were able to celebrate as well as lament, folk people are without are devoid. But when you see yourself as white or black, instead of African American, European American, or Polish American or Irish American, you have dismembered yourself from your folk voice and your folk culture, and you are forever lost to your ancestors, and your ancestors are forever lost with you to you. So part of what we have to begin to do is to reconnect with our identities that are strangers to who we are. For example, when we are reduced to skin, our gender identity is not available to us. Our sexual identity is not available to us. Our class identity is not available to us. We only see ourselves through one lens. And I call that skin nationalism, white skin nationalism, black skin nationalism, brown skin nationalism, but those that our skin becomes the essence of who we are. And, 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 the, and skin has no culture, has no history, has no hope. And so I think that our task in the 21st century is to reclaim all of our multiple selves and integrate them into a whole, where we're no longer strangers to ourselves. But we all, as Sweet Honey in the Rock says, all of us must come home again. We must be whole. I, I love when Ruby. I love when Ruby says
3: that, and the conversations we have about, you know, white people stopping white people beginning to pass for white and use, losing their ethnicity, right? Like white people lo- So I know Emily's people are, um, are Nordic, right? They're, they're mjofnesses, you know, I know. And so when you, if you, this is a really weird thing that's coming in my mind. So I'm gonna just say it because it's on the edge of my consciousness. One time I had a Reiki master do the thing on me. And when they did, I found myself having a vision of myself running through the forest like running through the forest. And when I was running through the forest, I was like running with the deer and I was like, you know, ahead of the bear and the and the greenery was all around and I I I was crystal clear that they that I had regressed to a time before I was black american baptist presbyterian, you know, you know what I mean? I was I was woods woman, right? I and I and I that that person that is inside me that I that I know that they regressed me to had like ways to survive is what Ruby's saying, right? Like I had a tribe and I had ways to survive and I had things I did every day to survive. And I wasn't a pastor yet, and I wasn't a psychologist yet, and I, but I had ways to survive. So if we can go back and claim the essential humanness of ourselves, is what I, I hear Ruby inviting us to also. We get ourselves back to coping mechanisms. And so Emily, like one of your coping mechanisms today was you told us the thing and then you cried. Like you let yourself cry and crying is healing. You know, like, so when you say, what is a spiritual practice? I want to say, girl, tell the thing to cry. Where are your girlfriends where you sit around and you tell the thing and you light your candles and you just go ahead and cry. And then you decide what's next. Like you don't need a a church. I'm in the business of church, but you don't need a church to give you rituals. You don't need a, 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 a system to give you rituals. You don't need the books Carrie and I are writing to give you rituals, you can create your own ways to move in the world that, that to heal you. Oh, uh, John and I were sheltered in place with our grandkids for three and a half months. And then they left and we're like ugh, bereft because we missed them. But also we, we found ourselves making rituals. Like we're not watching TV today is a ritual. Coffee and how are you really doing and really attending to each other, a ritual. Do not go to sleep without kissing you goodnight, damn it. You know, a ritual. What, what's the space of prayer? Like we're making our own cultural rituals that are somewhere between white mutt and African-American girl from Ethiopia or whatever I am. But you've, we've got to access, we'll be saying, our own homespun healing are your way to be a a whole person in the world. And And wherever two or more of you are gathered, I believe, spirit is there. So get you and a girlfriend and another one or you and two boys or however it goes, and just like attend. Attend to what's happening in your heart and tune out some crap for a while and be still enough to see if spirit will show up for you and guide you to the next, to tomorrow. Because that's really all you can do sometimes is just get to tomorrow. I wanna to say really one quick thing about the, 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 the um, health workers. Um, there's a woman named Megan who goes to our church. She's a nurse, a mother, I mean a, a doctor, I can't believe it's a nurse, she's a doctor. She's a neurosurgeon is the end that was coming to my mind. A neurosurgeon, queer black woman. Ruby, you can remember the, the, the little twins that were born and their big sister. Elijah, three girls, wild, beautiful women, and their mother, a neurosurgeon, who goes to the hospital every day to deal with COVID people. Every freaking day. And she wrote me this note and was like, I'm really hurting. I said, what do you need? She said, I'm realizing I need a grandmother. So I hooked her up. (laughs) There's this woman named Achebe who's gonna be her grandmother. Like she just asked for it. So I think also just you ask for it, the universe to give you the thing. So they're having a date tonight where like grandmama and baby are gonna meet and see if they can be black women together. One an old activist, the other one a young neurosurgeon and just be for each other what they
0: need right now. I, I, let me just ask something because we can't talk about rituals without contextualizing it within the realities of the world that we live in today. That's right, Ruby. We live in a capitalist technocracy, Mm -hmm. where very few lives matter. And Black lives and brown lives matter, least of all lives. Mm -hmm. And we live in a capitalist technocracy of accelerated individualism, where our experiences with each other are virtual experiences, And the question is, how do we talk about rituals in a democracy of virtual reality? Because rituals mean, in fact, harmonizing with others. It means a collective celebration beyond one's own individual space and one's own, it's a way of witnessing and testifying a common experience and a common history and a common story. And so how is it in an age of alienation and fragmentation and dehumanization that we began to look and rediscover the rituals that that our ancestors hewed out of the arid soil of oppression? We don't have to steal rituals from other groups. We can share rituals But there's a difference between sharing rituals and stealing rituals. Mm -hmm. And you steal rituals when you don't believe that you have any of your own. Mm -hmm. And I say to my white friends, become an Irish person and not white. When you go back and become a German person and not white. When you go back and become a Polish person and not white then you will, be, you will have rituals that, you, that will connect you to the authentic history, not the history of the empire, which is not your history, right. but a history where your ancestors were stood outside of the circle of power in Europe, where they were peasants in Europe, exploited by the aristocracy, and they created modalities that allows them to survive and to perpetuate. And you're the living manifestation of those survival rituals. You don't have to take it from indigenous people. You don't have to take it from African-Americans. You have your own rituals as long as you're willing to
2: be Irish and not white. it's great, Ruby. And, and I think I wanna just say to that some things that I've learned from you, Mama Ruby. And um, you too, Jackie. Is you know creating community and coming up with rituals is such a part of what Middle does. Um, and you know, Mama Ruby, when we've talked, we've talked about community and what it. You know, how uh, the word that's coming up for me is accompaniment, right? Like um, you have taught me how uh, in the Southern Freedom Movement that you were together. There was a the the accompaniment piece being in this work together, being in deep community with each other, being able to look each other in the eye and know each other's name. Um, that there are you know because there are some ritualized acts aspects to accompaniment, and there are some that are you know both big and small. Jackie, we were talking about having a cup of coffee and saying how you're doing, um, and then there are formal things, right? Where maybe um, someone graduates from something and we celebrate them, right? So there are these different. Um, rituals that we don't even sometimes call rituals but there is essentially the ritual of accompaniment and um you know sometimes i think that gets lost and when we talk about this grand you know southern freedom movement and these big moments and the accompaniment piece um you know because we have we have talked over and over about you know how do you how does that happen you know is it can we have community online um, do, you ha- do you need to be connected with someone who you can physically touch, who you can look into their eyeballs and they can see you and you cannot run from them? Um, and, and every community, like you're talking about, every people group, community, comes from, you know, has accompaniment, has ways they, 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 wor- they accompany each other, rituals and just a presence of accompaniment that is part of how they lived in community, how they live in community. I even wonder for, you know, if, if you can't do the tracing back right now, like if you don't know where your people are from, you have immediate people, hopefully you have a community you live in, right? So there are some rituals for accompaniment. There are some ways people be together in that small southern town you live in, or in that Midwestern place you live, or wherever it is, that could be the start of you doing that research. And then as you research the people you've come from. You know that you don't have to, like you said, steal someone else's ritual. You're, you're, um, and it's not the nationalist version of that, right? It's it's the folk version. You know those the people the the people that were in those villages and communities had those ways that they accompanied each other through all the stages and phases of their lives. Um, and so you know it's not about becoming you know in love with kind of a nationalistic version of the your the people you come from, but those 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 stories of accompaniment, those real life connections that people had, uh, and we can pull so much from that. So I I just I was thinking about how community was so important, you know, in the Southern Freedom Movement, and I think sometimes that gets lost as a part of how we move forward in movement. Even in this time, yes, we have technology and all that stuff, but. I think what I'm saying, Ma Ruby, is that you finally win that debate we've been having for probably three solid years about whether or not <laughs> you have to have in-person community
3: because <laughs> it is important. Mickey, I don't know. I, I would love to jump into you and Ruby's yeah. discussion, meaning whatever that all that is. But I also think that there's a kind of present tense absence of something that we're just having to. We're having to make up things new. In other words, like I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the clearing, you know, I'm in the clearing, Baby Suggs, Holy's clearing, and I'm thinking about her calling out the men and the women and the children and the dance and all the things and the sermon, we flesh, you know. Like some of the young people I know are just absolutely devastated because they don't have in-person contact. So if you're not having in person contact, how are we gonna how are we gonna do it? And I think we have to work we have to we have to innovate is, is all I'm yeah. saying. I'm not I'm not great at innovating on in, online, but I and I hate Zoom. But yeah. I, I I just hate it. Yeah. But like you're like self conscious and people are like, like ugh, you have a thing in your nose, you know, ugh, I hate it. But I think people are having to innovate connections right now. And I don't have an answer. I'm actually kind of raising a question about, can we make a posse online? Can you you make a phone call work? Can you make meditation together work? Can you make a glass of red wine on Friday night on Zoom work? Can we make it work in this moment where we don't have something else? I, I hope so. Because I, I think we're dying around that. I really do. I think one casualty is the actual physical by people get COVID and they're getting sick and they're dying. Another thing that's dying is just like, oh my God, I was being held in the eyes of a, of a loved one. I was being in a container of creativity and now that's, that's gone. So what, how do we do that? I think, I mean, people are doing therapy online, people are doing, you know, all kinds of things online. I don't yeah. love it. But I wonder if we can innovate in this moment a way to, to create some authentic connection so we don't die.
2: And when we can be honest about it. Jackie, you know, I wonder, yeah. Jackie, I wonder,
0: in addition to innovating, as you were thinking, you see, I think that we have to have hindsight, insight, and foresight. Yes, and right. I think that in addition to innovating, mm-hmm. we must know the rituals that have existed historically. Yeah. I need, for example, as a Black same-gender loving woman, it is important for me to realize that in 1876, 10 years after Emancipation Proclamation, same-gender loving Black American women ritualized Black womanhood and freedom and set forth a pathway a Black womanhood that I inherited and still am expanding. But yep. it's important for me to understand they didn't have, they had nothing. Right. They did not have a traditional Black womanhood except what someone told them. But they ritualized in community That's right. and set forth a quilt of Black womanhood less than 10 years after enslavement knowing that that gives me strength and courage to say if they did it why can't i and how did they do it and i think that this memory is very dangerous mm-hmm. because you you don't if you don't know who you are you can't see who other people are mm-hmm. right. and so i think that we should innovate but i also think that it's very important to 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 have hindsight as a prerequisite for innovation. That if you don't have a sense of history, if you can't tell me who Lucy so was and how she became the Dean of Women at Howard as the same gender loving woman and lived in a relationship for 25 years and how the black community came to her support when she was attacked by the president of Howard and the top then you're gonna tell me that black people have always been homophobic going ritualized self-hatred. Uh-huh. That's my review. And, and so it's really important. And all rituals are not positive, you know. White supremacy is a ritual that's negative. Homophobia is a ritual that is negative. Isms are ritualized, negative, dehumanizing depths of humanity. So when we talk about ritual, we must always make sure we're ritualized, we're talking about positive rituals and understand that lynching is a ritual. State sanctioned murder is a ritual.
2: Amen. That's right. Okay, well, um, uh, let's move to Nikki. Um, I'm sorry we took so long, Nikki. Oh, we can take all the time we want. We got it, we're good. so, uh, Nikki, if you have something that you'd like to bring in.
5: Thank you. And
2: and first, I just
5: got to say how blown away and honored I am to be here. Ruby, I've been in love with you from afar, love and adore you for so, so long. And so I'm just so grateful to be in your presence. And Thank you so much. <laughs> and And Pastor Jackie, I haven't had a pastor in my life for a long time but I think I might now. So, amen, I'm, <laughs> amen. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. So um, this is much a continuation of, of what you've just been talking about. But I've, I've heard you, Ruby, speak so much about the spiritual crisis in America and speak in terms of that uh, relative to a liberating black theology and a liberating white theology. And yes. I'm wondering if we if we could hear a little bit more of that, we could deepen that conversation and and
0: all of that. So thank you. One of the dangers of thinking that we're radical is not to have had an internal transformation, and how you not to have changed how we look out at the world and how we see the world. And I think that in the twenty-first century, we need to develop a language that makes a connection between what we say we believe and how we articulate the vision. For example, we call we say that people are marginalized. We say that. African-Americans and brown people are marginalized. When you say that, you're looking at us through the white gaze. Because in our eyes with each other, we are not marginalized. We are essential. So what is a good, what is a liberating message to repeat to people what the empire tells them that they are marginalized? That's no good news in that. When you say to people, uh, "Diversify," or when you say to people to include to inclusion, that's not radical. That says that somebody owns a table, and they have the power to include you in on the, around their table. That is underscores white supremacy, patriarchy, misogyny, heterosexism, all of the isms. Are underscored in that language, and so that's no good news to tell people that they don't own, that they are not inheritors of creation. And so we need to speak in most in tongues in the twenty first century, where we say to people, "You might be marginalized in the empire, but with each other, you're essential, and with God, you're also important." And so we've got to. I I, I get a little disturbed because I find that too often black people look at ourselves through the white gaze. And we talk about black hurt. We, we go before the world and we ritualize hurt before white audiences. And, and without realizing that there's nothing radical about that, that's not liberating. It just says to white people that they have the power to to, this, to determine how we feel and how we act in the world. That underscores white supremacy. So we've got to really begin to pull the covers off of our eyes and, and think about looking at each other through multiple lens, not just in terms of how white people see us, not in terms of, um, how how we are as a black person, but also through ge- gender lens. What does it mean to see the world as a woman, as a black woman? What does it mean for me to see the world as the same gender loving black woman? And so I think that we are in a spiritual crisis of meaning. And what I mean by that is that we're, we live in a time, how can I say this without Alarming. We live in a in a, in a, in, a, in, a, in a, where, where, where white where the violence of whiteness and the idolatry of whiteness has destroyed many aspects of our personhood. And the question for white people that's on the table today, you you see, I say things like this, nobody nobody takes it into consideration. What does it mean to live in a world where 30% of white men own 95% of the world's wealth? What does that mean for whiteness, for the ordinary white person? What does that mean in terms of if you think that white has to do with access and materialism, what does it mean when you no longer have that? And so I think that we have got that that we have got to start looking deeply. At these questions of how we see and how we define ourselves, and I personally think that 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 we live in a world where the West suffers some savage anxieties, that the Western civilization has always been organized around other as enemy, that, white, that the Western unity has always been predicated on othering someone else and the enemy within and the enemy without. And the enemy within is a savage. And the savages are black and brown people. And when you get beyond black and brown people, the savages are poor people. The savages are, are, are LGBTQ, LGBT, I can never say that, people. And I think that it's really, really important for us to really ask ourselves. How is it that we see each other? And how is it that we see ourselves? And what is the enemy within our own selves that we try to kill and destroy as we do it to other people? Who, what is the enemy in ourselves that we hate so much that we try to destroy? And finally, I want to say this. I was listening to Donald Trump this morning saying to, to white America, because he's not speaking to black America, that he withheld the information about the virus because he didn't want to panic people. And I thought, what contempt do white leaders have for ordinary white people? He is, I mean, that they have lied. They, they have such contempt that they lie that they degrade their intelligence, that they abuse their trust. And then after thinking about that, and I said, this is what they've done. They have a history. They have a tradition of doing this. And finally, my last question was, what is the spiritual crisis of meaning for average white Americans, that they hate themselves enough that they would allow their leaders to treat them thusly and still believe in in them. What is a lack of self-love that you allow yourself to be abused that way and to be misused that way, to be be held in such contempt? Well, what does it mean to love your abuser? And I think that there's something about whiteness or white people are taught to love their abuser. And that's the spiritual crisis of meaning that I'm talking about it's, it exists on so many deep levels.
3: I, I, I would love to, to echo what Ruby is saying uh, for a couple seconds. Um, I just finished the first chapter in my book and it's like love yourself unconditionally. It all starts there. And when I wrote those words, I knew that that was like going to sound like BS, 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 because one, we're not taught to love ourselves. And two, if we are, we think it's narcissistic. Or three, we're told it's self-absorbing. But most importantly, four, there's just all kinds of loose dudo in the universe that makes us hard to love ourselves. You know, body image and criticism and what, you know, what does it mean to be a woman? And what does it mean to be black or a person of color? Um, the, disen- the disengagement we are from our from our stories of origin, from our ethnicity, all those things that have us just, you know, uh, puppets in a way, uh, being played by by the culture. And so I was writing, "Love myself, love myself, love." Me. Do I love myself? Love well, we can see the people who don't love themselves on the national stage really clearly. And the, I think the sad thing about it is that the, that the unself-loving narcissist knows how to collude with the part of ourselves with the part of ourselves that don't love ourselves the part of ourselves that don't love ourselves are drawn to trump and i'm saying trump in quotes because it's not trump it's another kind of person like that where we are in cahoots with each other we're colluding with each other around a low self-esteem and a loss of of like the value of our own humanity. And we elected, we, they, we elected him because he's our shadow. He says out loud the crap we feel about ourselves. He behaves, he behaves like the bully that we think we deserve. Do you feel what I'm saying? That the nation picked an asshole to run our country because we feel crappy and we projected it out and we elected him to rule over us. And so I mean, just to, just to kind of echo what Ruby is saying, like, how, do we, how, how can we break a cycle of abuse? How can we stand up and say to each other, to confess to each other, I'm feeling like crap and therefore I'm letting myself be treated like crap and I'm gonna try to find the source of my joy and my hope and my wholeness inside myself when I when I got to this place in this book I was thinking about Intezaki Shange's um for colored girls uh who've considered suicide when the rainbow's enough and that last final piece which I think we should all read over and over again, the laying on of hands that ends in, I found God in myself and I loved her. I loved her fiercely. Maybe the first time I heard that, I thought, how sacrilegious is that? Like I was a young woman, you can't find God in yourself. What, you know, all of the myths and the stories of what God is and where God lives and what God is like, just, I was like, what? It was right before I went to seminary and then she had pricked my imagination, my holy image. God is a she? I was like, god's a she right then suddenly everything in the world started feeling like god was a she all the texts in the bible felt like god was a she all the evidence of nurture and mercy and kindness was womb-like love and i was like i wanted to just cry or run through the streets going what you know god is that like that and that's inside of me and all the junk that had happened to me, the, word, the horrible words said to me, the, 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 the childhood sexual abuse that had happened to me, everything that had happened to me that made me feel like I was a no-thing, the flooding in of God as a woman's womb loving me, healed me. Zaki Shange, formerly Karen Brown, Zaki Shange. So there is, there is a bomb in Gilead, right? There is word, there is story, there is ritual, there is love, there are relationships. Those of us who get to sit at Mama's Ruby, Mama Ruby's feet on her front porch, you know, she pours into you something that fills you up. And we, we have to do that for each other. It, we, the the, the self hatred that is the national drug temping us out, that leaves us caricatures of ourselves. Fuck that. All the pretend purity ritual junk, all the who's perfect and right, all of what's normative, like, fuck that. You are the essential vessel of God's everything. And if that's our starting place, I think we can really help heal each other. And when we don't have that as a starting place, somebody's got to hold that force that day. My turn today, I'll hold it for Mickey today. Then like, then she can hold it for Carrie, right? But that is, that is it. And every time Ruby talks about like, like the, the kind of, dis, the distance between our real selves and the, and the skin we're in, or our real selves and what the culture tells us are labels that we need to care about. Like that is the lie. The people of the lie are the people who traffic in one iota of something about ourselves and make that the defining thing. Am I making sense? Are you staying with me there? That is the lie. That is the lie that religion traffics in. That is the lie the church traffics in. That is the lie that keeps us enslaved and gets ritualized in education and religion and in housing and in medicine in, in capitalism, it's a lie. The truth is every single thing that you need, you have. That's the truth. God is in you, holy is in you, love is in you, power is in you, that's the truth.
0: Thank you. I, 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 I think it's, let me just say this, I really think it's important to underscore to everybody that you're worthy. Worthy. That you're worthy of being beloved. You're worthy of being loved. And it's really important to break this cycle of abuse where you submit to blind obedience and give up your will and your loyalty to people who don't love you who abuse you who take away your very who make you commit soul murder by killing all of your identities and turn around and tell you that it's a privilege to be dead white privilege our task is to recover ourselves not to confuse materialism with love materialism is an opiate it's a drug it's designed to keep us numb to our deep as audrey lloyd says to to the deepest part of who we are and finally i want to say something about lgbtq part of why i have a hard time saying that is that i rebel against it because how dare you put say that in one breath as if it's one thing when each of those each of those names have their own identities they're not a monolith and when we gobble them up like that we erase those particularities of each of those identities and we do to them what we do by calling people white and black or male and female We've got to move away from these monolithic or monolithic descriptions of human nature, and we've got to understand that we are very complex, multidimensional human beings. And when we find and when we touch our multiple selves, then we touch each other because each we are in each other's selves, and and we just don't live in the world based on who we are. You can't love yourself without loving other people. It is in loving other people that you learn to love yourself more. It is in loving yourself that you love other people. Those things are inextricably together. And so if you remember anything I've said tonight, Mm. remember you are worthy. Mm. And that you're worthy of being beloved. And stop the cycle of abuse. Mm. Define who you are from the deepest part of your passion. And don't let the empire recreate you in their own image and strip you of your soul.
2: Amen. Woo. I told y'all, I told y'all to get ready, okay? Because <laughs> it was going to be just like it's been coming at you full force all, all evenings. So, uh, one of the questions we have here um, is from Yasmin Morero. Mar- Mar- maybe? I'm not sure if I'm saying the last name right. Um, how do we gain a- access to ancestral rituals for hope and resilience when we aren't connected to our familial elders?
0: Reading. Read. History. Yep. I constantly am in touch with my ancestors. When I pick up a William's poem, I, I, I touch his feelings and, it's, and I connect what he feels with what I feel. When I, when I read, I transcend my gender. I transcend my race. I become both a particular and a universal person. At the same time. You can't do this work. It's not magic. You must read. You must study. You must be disciplined. It doesn't happen because you shake a feather or you burn a candle. It is, it really, you must begin to do the reading. It it takes a lot of work and, and I get and you can't do it on Twitter. And you can't do it on Facebook. You've got to read whole books. I love everything. <laughs> <laughs> now that's my admonishment for tonight
3: right and you know what like i love to read ruby's right it's like it's so much there and some of us are not don't think of ourselves as readers but you can get like audio books out the out the butt right now like you just go to amazon and say i'm gonna read some links and hues but i'm gonna click audiobook and then you can be someplace drinking your coffee listening which is reading you know you can be listening and doing your yoga like there's so many ways to 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 take a deep drink of culture and history mm-hmm. and we have to do it in those of you who don't like to listen and don't like to read, you can actually watch some of this beautiful stuff. Taylor branches, you know, um, keep your eyes on, the, like there's so many beautiful documentaries and so much stuff to, to find on PBS or in podcasts. Podcasts. Yeah. Like don't watch what we can't do. Please don't think that we, have enough all by ourselves because we don't and please don't think Instagram is your training ground that's a mistake okay it just
2: is mm-hmm. and what about reading in community like do you think that's a part of it too you're doing the reading you're listening to the books but you need so. to be talking to people I, about it too
3: I think so and you know Mickey you neither you and I are are introverts I think but some- <laughs> We're not, but some people are. And so you don't have to be in like a 12 people group, but it's good, I think, to have an accountability partner. Like, let's read this together and let's you and I talk about it, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: yeah.
0: Okay. Can I ask- Let me question? just say why reading is very important quickly. We live in a world of artificial intelligence where human intelligence is becoming obsolete. And when we allow media to control the discourse and tell us what to think, we're refer from who we are as people. And we are then become zombies mm. who repeat reality rather than discern it and think about it. And we live in a world where reality is repeated on cable news and instead of thinking deeply about what we are being told, go so out and re repeat it. So we have to ask what does it mean to think in an era of artificial intelligence? That's very important. Yeah.
1: Can I ask a movement question?
0: Sure. Yes. Can we can
1: we go there for a moment? Yes. Um, Mama Ruby, I don't know if you remember this, but I um, I was in DC for the Kavanaugh hearings. What is that? <laughs> like, that terrible memory a couple years back yes. when we were seeing the the power of white patriarchy um, play out at the highest court, and now we see the repercussions of that. And um, I think I was um, I was doing a Facebook Live um, from the Hart Building. Um, when we were doing civil disobedience and, and when we were getting arrested and Mama Ruby, you, you um, commented on my post, you said, Carrie, you have to do a hunger strike. That's what you said. You said, Carrie, we have to do a hunger strike. And it made me think about escalation, like what it means to escalate and what's next for nonviolent action right now. And I'm just thinking about what you've been teaching us about remembering Um, and how we're on the brink right now in so many ways, but we've been on the brink in the past and the resistance movements of the South have gotten us off the brink before. And so I'm just curious about what can we learn um, from your experience and from your work and from the movements of the past that can help us show up for the apocalypse that's now, um, for this new moment, which Jackie said is, is new and the conditions are different Um, And yet, I would imagine that there's so much wisdom at our backs given where we come from and who we come from.
0: The first thing that I would say is that movements are dynamic. It's not about a moment, it's a build-up. For example, the young white people who are in the streets today, yes, they're there for Black Lives Matter, but they're also there for their lives in a capitalist society where white life does not carry the same currency that it once did, where young people in this country, no matter the color, do not have a future. Jobs, I mean, in a a technocracy where human labor is being replaced by technology, there's a great deal of displacement so that you have to look at movement through a long Eyesight and understand what was the meaning of Occupy Wall Street. And how is Occupy Wall Street a process that leads up to the moment that we are standing in today? The other thing that that the movement teaches us is that movement does not perpetuate elitism. If you if the masses of people are not involved and not and you're not developing leadership from the masses. It's not a movement, it's a gathering of elites. So one has to know the difference between a movement and a gathering. And the other thing that I would say is that you have to understand what works and why a technique worked. Marching worked in the 1960s and in the 1950s because black folk, we existed in a segregated society. Where the very idea of Black people gathering in the streets was subversive. It was a radical departure from the containment of Black people in sites that we were not allowed to to move beyond. Marching doesn't mean the same thing today. And so you have to develop techniques that are, that the purpose of any, any strategy is to show the brutal, violent underbelly of the system. It's not to convince the system to come onto your side. It's to show more people what the system really is so that you know whether the system listens to you It's whether or not what it is that you expose about the system. And one of the things that it's not exposing anything is allowing the system to say we're great people because we let you march and look how you mistreat the marches. And so I think that, and the other thing that you learn is that once the territory that you have gained becomes infested and invaded by agent provocateurs in the state, you have to move on to another territory because you've lost control of the narrative. Yeah. That's you really- cannot lose control of the narrative. So you've got to be elastic. You've got to be flexible. Marching, if in the streets are, are becoming invaded by agent provocateurs, you go into a church and you have a hunger strike. But you, you don't, keep doing the same thing over again that that you certainly have no control over. And finally, I would say about movements, you have to be accountable to the people. You ask them in a real movement, people get hurt, they get killed, they get put in jail, and they've got to know that there's somebody that they can call on when they make the sacrifice and pay the penalty for being in the movement. There is no movement today. There are there are actions, but as long as the masses of people cannot articulate the meaning of their lives, as long as the masses of people are not out there in the street leading the marches, that, that's not a movement. That is a group of elites coming together saying that they speak on behalf of the people and the people are nowhere in the ranks. And by people, I mean, people who are invisible every day poor people working mothers young black kids 13 and 14 years old young indigenous children 13 and 14 years old that's what we have to learn we have to stop trivializing the meaning of a movement and we've got to it's not about it's not about ruby sales First of all, there are no icons in the movement. I'm not an icon. I'm a product of the people. I don't like when you raise, part of what happened with John Lewis is that people dehistoricized him and they raised him above his people. And you would begin to believe that it was, he was the exceptional Negro who stood on that bridge by himself. Now I wasn't on that bridge, but there were 675 black people and white people on that bridge that day. There were young black children, nine and seven years old, Rachel West, Cheyenne Webb, Betty Fike, 16 years old. Mrs. Boynton, 61 who got burned and beaten on that bridge. But once you raise John Lewis up, it says to the people that it's exceptional in... It makes a movement, and erases the 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 courage and the gallancy of the people. And it says that movements are made of individuals, and not of of a collective people. And so it's dangerous when we when we make movements surround uh, based on people or icons. And how much I say to people, don't do that to me. Don't objectify me. Don't commodify me. Don't raise me above my mom and my daddy. Don't raise me above the people. People are so conditioned that there's a difference between respect and making someone an icon. It's like raising Jesus above being a Jew and making him the risen Christ without a sex, without a gender, without a people, without a relationship. Mm, mm, mm. And so I'm saying, don't do that. Movements don't have celebrities. Mm.
2: That's right. That's good. I'm on mute because I keep saying that's right every five seconds. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank and then
0: one other that. thing I want to say, yep. stop healing is not static. Mm. We are constantly in the process of recovering and being healed. Heal is a dynamic process. And 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 so that it's not about we become healed. What we do is that we ascend closer and closer to the mountaintop. And the mountaintop is not a place, it's a highest state of consciousness where we reconnect with the consciousness of God and all of us, the consciousness that the empire has socialized out of us. And so that is what it means to be in movement, is to move up to a higher level of consciousness. It is not this whole thing about being healed. You can be in the process of recovery, but as long as the empire is is attacking you and abusing you and, 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 and seducing you You're always in the process of struggle. That's why we call it struggle. Struggle is not a bad word. Struggle means that you're constantly involved in the process of recovery and to make sure that you do not give in to the empire.
2: Mm, Yes, dynamic. Our healing is dynamic and our movements are dynamic. And, you know, one of the things I love about middle is that every week Jackie someone asks um, people who are listening and watching if they'd like to join the movement, in
3: the movement. Um,
2: because even as big as middle is, both as a building and as a movement of people, um, you know it's not just the people in the building and it's not just the people who pay you know tithes or who you know support the church in some way. Um, it is a movement that is bigger than um, even just the community of, of Middle Collegiate Church. And one of the, one of the
3: um, important things that Mama Ruby helped me to see about that is that um, when we invite people to join the movement, we're actually not inviting them to join middle, we're actually yeah. in the movement. That yeah. is the movement of people all trying to get to a higher place of consciousness and heal
2: the That's world. Right. That's just yeah.
3: the corner of it right there.
2: Yeah, and you invite people into that healing too um and we invite each other you know it's not just you that stands up there every sunday it is someone who has experienced what it's like to be in community first of all i'm
0: going to disagree with all of that we don't have the power to invite anybody into a movement it's not our movement it belongs to everybody it's That's not right. a space that we can invite anybody they right. the minute they are involved as they live and breathe And try to navigate the systemic harm. They're in motion. Yeah.
2: That's and I don't know, maybe it's that what'd you think about that, Mickey? Well, I'm thinking we invite maybe it's that we invite each other, right? As we make space for ourselves to awaken to understand that we're part of that. That we're already part of the struggle. We're already struggling in our individual ways, right? We are able to recognize that, you know, I mean, I'm thinking of Fannie Lou Hamer was already fighting. She was already struggling in various ways in her community and when and then when she was awakened to the voting struggle, then she became a part of that, too. But she was already doing things, you know, the way she fixed the scale so that her people were would get their money. you know, the way that she, you know, was able to subvert the system and do what was right by her people. And then also became involved in voting because she learned that that was a thing and I can do that too. But she never quit feeding kids in the neighborhood and, you know, getting what was right for the sharecropping families. And you know what I'm saying? So it was like, yes, she was invited into that voting struggle, but she was already a part of it. You know, nobody had to invite her to something that was already hers.
0: The reason why I said that I was hoping that young people would catch on that no, that it's not about passing the torch. Mm-hmm. It's not my torch to, to pass. No, the freedom doesn't belong to any generation. It belongs to all of us. And the minute you become an adult, you have the responsibility and the privilege of putting your patch on the quilt of freedom. And and to say that you that a generation has to give it to you is absurd. It's not mine to give, it already belongs to you. Mm. And to wait until I get old and order to feel that you got the right to the tree of freedom is absolutely absurd. I don't want that responsibility. Freedom is too large for me to try to give it to anybody. Okay. It's yours. Yeah. And so my 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 encouragement is don't wait, that's what the movement taught us. Seven-year-old kids didn't wait. They marched, they took the responsibility of their freedom. It's, it doesn't belong to me, it's yours. Yeah. Don't wait on me to die, don't wait on me to get older. Take it now and run with it. It's not a generational fight about power. Yeah. It's about us participating in the collective movement that changes and elevates all of our lives, and each of us are empowered and ordained mm. but, but I think we capacity to, 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 to be free I think yes.
3: that, that, that you say that to us, and I think sometimes we have to say that to each other, and that's what that's what the invitation quote is is somebody just articulates this tree of freedom belongs to you. Somebody articulates you have gifts to do in the world. Like somebody just reminds you that you're badass and amazing. Let's go. I think that's a that, that the invitation is sort of just articulating the space that you're describing, Ruby. Um, there's just sometimes somebody just used to name it. Mm-hmm. This river is going to freedom. Are you? Come on, let's go. I think sometimes we just have to name it for people. That's right. But well, we, could, we could talk about that tomorrow. <laughs> and,
0: and it's really important for young people to understand that I can't be free unless I hear your voice because I didn't grow up under a technocracy the way you did. I don't understand uh, the the impediments to freedom the way you do. You don't understand them the way I do. And so we need each other in order to be free. Nobody, no generation has the answer to freedom.
2: We need each other's voices. Amen. 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 Um, and we need each other's voices, but we also have come have to, to the end and need to let people go. <laughs> it's getting late on the East Coast. Um, so um, we thought it would be lovely to sing a little song together, just a little taste. Um, that's one of the things that Mama Ruby has taught me, how important music has been in our, to our movements. Um, and uh, she's assigned me reading about it, and has taught me some songs, and we've sung together, and um, Jackie always leads in song as well, um, and I occasionally will do it. I'm trying to flex those muscles more often, so
3: um, Jackie, if you would take us I, out on the song. I, I Mama Ruby says that, um, that uh, Mama Regan was her pastor out there in the movement, right? So, the the women that were singing the songs and doing the harmonies and so it's made me want to think about kind of doing this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine this
0: little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine who
3: messes up your music so just sing
1: this This little little
3: light light of mine I'm
1: gonna let it shine, let it
3: shine, let it shine, let it shine. shine. Everywhere you go.
1: While this podcast is coming to an end, our work in the world is just beginning. This week's call to action is to remember who we are beyond the empire and to reclaim our wholeness. Remembering is how we heal what has been broken and fractured and come back into relationship with one another and the whole of who we are. You can follow Rev. Dr. Jackie Lewis on Instagram at Rev. Jackie Lewis. And you can find Ruby Sales from her front porch on her Facebook page. And connect with Mickey on Twitter at IamMickeyJones. You can find the links to their work in our show notes. Special thanks to DJ Drez for the amazing soundtrack. You can check out his music at DJDrez.com. And to our executive producer who puts it all together and makes it sound great, Trevor Exter. And thank you for being here today. You can stay in the know and engaged by subscribing to our free weekly newsletter, Well Read, at citizenwell.org. Citizen Podcast is community-inspired and crowdsourced. That's how we keep it real. Join our community on Patreon for as little as $2 per month so that we can keep doing the work of curating content that matters for communities who care. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And share the love, y'all, by telling your friends to check us
0: out.